Welcome to Centre Church. We hope you enjoyed this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. Well, good morning, church. It is, uh, well, I was going to say, normally I'd start by saying it's great to be here this morning. Um, however, that was, not, that was not my thought yesterday. It was, um, okay, what excuses did I use in school to not have to do my homework? Um, because that is literally the feeling I had of, oh my goodness, I'd rather not be up here this morning. So it's been a real journey um, to get up here. As confident as I might appear at times, um, there are definitely nerves. Uh, and I think that comes down to what God has asked me to share. Um, I think there's a nervousness within me because it feels a bit vulnerable uh, and it feels a bit raw and it feels like it's still a testimony in the working and it's not quite finished yet. And so I think as I, as I share and as I talk, I think there's a, an element of me that is still, it, it's for me as much as it is for anybody else this morning. And so I think that's where these nerves come from, this, this unsureness of, ooh, this feels a little bit rocky ground I'm treading on this morning. Um, but I know God has got something for this church, and that fills me with uh, an equal amount of excitement uh, to be here today. Amen. So before I, I kind of share a bit more about that, that side of things, I, I, I was talking to Giovanni in my preparation and, and, and talking to, to Tom as well this week, kind of saying, well, I think I might share on this and I might share on that. And then yesterday, God flipped it around and um, I'm sharing something completely different. And so, uh, <laughs> so I think God really is speaking and I, and I want to take us to the Old Testament. Um, I'm definitely a big fan of the Old Testament, uh, big it up, I think it's got some great stories, and it often reminds me of childhood, to be honest, because those are the stories my parents would often tell me, um, and I had vivid memories of my mother dramatically telling uh, some of these stories from the Bible, so I often hear her voice as I read them, uh, which is always quite fun, especially with a, a Welsh accent uh, that she has. Um, so, I, I think she should do a cover of you version, reading the Bible through, I think that will be fun. Um, Anyway, uh, I want us to turn to the book of Daniel this morning, and we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 3. Uh, to give a little bit of context uh, for those uh, who are unfamiliar with the book um, or unfamiliar with the story uh, that we're going to be looking at, we're going to be looking at the characters of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, some of the coolest names in the Bible, I think. Uh, I've yet to hear many kids called that today. Uh, you know, just putting it out there, some feelers, little, little Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. What cool names. Um, but for those who are unfamiliar, the, the, the story of Daniel set around 600 BC. So we're talking a number of years ago. Uh, times were a little different. But we find these guys, and they have in fact... Um, been taken from their families. They are no longer with the Israelites. They are now living with the Babylonians. They've been taken captive, um, and they've been put to work in the king's service. Um, and in fact, it, it doesn't really explain too much of that situation, but it doesn't sound like a nice circumstance. In fact, as I was thinking about it, it, it gives me feelings of, of human trafficking, of slavery, of, of these situations where they've been torn away, and they've been made to work for another kingdom. Um, and in fact, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego aren't even even their real names, their names were even changed, their identity was changed so that they would conform to a new way of living and a new way of being. As much as the Babylonians could, they tried to change them. 
But we will see later on what happens. So we find Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they've been trained in the Babylonian ways. Um, they're quite intelligent young men. Uh, together with Daniel, uh, they, were, they were trained with all the knowledge and the wisdom, and God really works in and through their lives. And you, you read that in the first two chapters of the book, uh, as, as we see how God has given them all the knowledge and all the wisdom, and the king is pleased with them. And so God gives them favor, and they find themselves in a high position in the king's court. So they've gone from being kind of taken from their families to now a really high position where actually they can have influence in the the court and over the province of uh, Babylonia. So it sounds pretty good at the moment. However, for those who are familiar with the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it doesn't uh, stay brilliant the rest of the time, as we will pick up. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar, another fab name, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, again, any parents out there, Nebuchadnezzar, why not, why not? Um, he, he was quite an emotional guy. That's what I'm going to call him this morning, an emotional guy. There are a couple of times in the book of Daniel where um, he gets furious uh, and, and I quite like that word. It's quite, uh, it gives me a lot of imagery, but I just imagine a, a hot-headed headed guy that he, he gets really angry. And in his anger, he often says things uh, that, that have big, big consequences because of the power and the authority that he holds. And uh, not only is he uh, a little hot-headed, he's also um, a little bit full of himself, I think maybe. I, I don't think I'm wrong in saying that. He, he loves himself. He's got a lot of self-love. We love a bit of self-love, but um, he's maybe got a bit too much. Um, and, and in fact, they, we come to this part in the story where he wants everyone to bow down and worship this idol that he has made. And we're going to read, um, I believe it's on the screen, lovely behind me. Um, we're going to read chapter three, um, and we're going to kind of cut in and out a bit because it's a bit, it's quite a lot to read. And I know we've got the young people in today, and to be honest, they don't love chunks of Bible, although I make them read it. Um, so we're going to read chapter three, uh, starting with just verse one and two. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and six cubits wide. It was big. Uh, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. We're going to skip to verse four. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Not even prison, not even the dungeon, straight to a furnace. Uh, that is, that's quite extreme in my book, and <laughs> many of your books, but that's quite extreme for me, um, to be thrown into a furnace. It's, it's a pretty uh, severe punishment. There's no second chances here. You either worship or you don't. And if you don't, it's death. This is what we're set out But we have these three guys living in Babylonia, high in the king's 
court, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And although the Babylonians have tried to change them, they've changed their names, they've put them in high positions of authority, they're, they're these guys working on the Babylonian team. However, they are not. They haven't forsaken their Jewish heritage. They haven't forsaken their God. And in fact, although the command, the decree is set out, they choose not to bow down and worship. They choose to still honor God in what they do and put him in the highest place, not an idol uh, made of gold, as big as it might be. And so we pick up the story uh, from, I believe, verse 13. Yes, verse 13. And we start with a furious Nebuchadnezzar. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hands? He sounds like a pretty confident guy to me. However, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. The boys are faced with the stark reality that if they do not bow down, they will die. It's, it's not, oh, maybe, it's a definite, yes, you will die. For an easier, quieter life, I, I was thinking about this, for an easier, quieter life, if they, I mean, would it, would it have mattered if they'd have just, oh, just half a knee, I'll just, I'll just kind of, but in my heart, I know the truth, and it's fine. And, but, you know, just to, you know, I've got a position of authority. So if I just bow down this once, then, then I can do some good later. If I compromise now, I think it'll be fine because I can, I've got more opportunity if I'm alive rather than dead. That's kind of my rationing of the situation uh, in the world of Hannah, the Bible according to Hannah. Uh, this is kind of how I'm thinking. Like, maybe they had an option here. They could have ju just this once. Surely God would understand. Like, they, they just want to live to do more things for God, maybe. But no, they don't compromise. And I love this. It's almost like a quiet assurance they have. As they're talking to King Nebuchadnezzar, they're not rude. They address him as your majesty. They acknowledge who he is and the power that he has over them. But they are firm. They don't... They don't waver. They are firm. They don't compromise. But they're obedient to God, the almighty Yahweh. We've just been singing this morning. And for me, this, this is a challenge that I think we face today in our society. This area of compromise. This area of, but if you just 
if we just a little bit kind of give in that way, then, then it's okay. God won't mind. It won't be okay. But actually, God loves faithfulness. He loves obedience. And he wants us to follow him wholeheartedly, even when it's hard, even when it's a challenge. And I know as I'm saying that this morning, I'm also speaking to myself because it's easier sometimes to give in, to allow kind of things to just, yeah, that's all right, that's fine. And it starts small often, and then before you know it, we've made our way over to the other side, and we started maybe over here with just, oh, I'll just allow myself to watch this. And then all of a sudden, we've watched something maybe that really isn't good for us, that isn't good for our spirits. But we haven't noticed that journey because it just started with a little, I'll just watch this or I'll just do that. And before we know, our position has completely changed. And where is God in that mix? I think what I find fascinating is if you were to read the, the earlier parts of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego's story, is that this actually wasn't their first challenge. Their first challenge came when they were originally taken from their families. And they were forced to eat what the king put before them, but it was meat and stuff that was offered to other gods. And it was kind of, for me, it's like there's this smaller challenge that you read earlier in the chapter, where actually by maybe not eating meat, maybe it wasn't such a big of a risk, it was still a risk, but they prayed through it and God held them and he showed his might and he showed his power in that situation. And so later on, when they come to this situation, God's already proven himself. He's already taken them this far. So where they are now, I think that's where that assurance comes from. In fact, I'm pretty sure. Because the Bible tells us that we are to pass down what he has done from generation to generation. Deuteronomy 6, I believe it is, it talks about how tell your children to tell their children and their children to tell their children about the goodness of God and what he has done. And I think for me, it just highlights the importance of speaking testimony, of speaking about what God is doing. Because in those moments where maybe we are struggling, we're relying on actually what has God done? Because I think right now I'm kind of panicking and freaking out and I'm not quite sure where my faith is at. But I know God has brought me through. And if he has brought me through, then he will bring me through. And that's, for me, speaks of their assurance in, this, in what they say, in their discussion with Nebuchadnezzar. But it's a challenge. It's a challenge for us, that no compromising. However, if you were to continue the story... Um, they are actually thrown into the fire. Uh, so, uh, and in that, if you were to stop there, you'd think, ah, but where does their faith take them? They actually get thrown into a blazing furnace. And in fact, it's not just your average blazing furnace. Not that I think there is an average blazing furnace. Um, but it is, in fact, seven times hotter uh, than, than the norm, which uh, is, is incredible. And in fact, it kills the guards that are trying to put them in. So it's that hot that it kills those that are trying to harm them which I find interesting. But as they go into that fire, an amazing miracle happens. And in fact, they are not burnt. 
They are not harmed. They are saved. And God is in there with them. And Nebuchadnezzar sees this. And he witnesses this amazing miracle. And he's like, weren't there three guys? And they were like, yeah, well, there's four. Because there's an angel of the Lord walking around in that fire with them. And they come out and they're unharmed. And my favorite part, the, the, the Bible tells us, is they didn't even smell a smoke. And I love that little bit of description. Um, <laughs> It just, whenever you've been around a fire, I know I always need to shower afterwards. It's in your hair, it's in your clothes. You just stand near a fire. They were in it. They were in the middle of it, and they didn't even smell. And it's just like this picture of God just completely surrounding them with his protection, with his love, that not even a hair on their head was singed. They were completely protected. And I just, I stand in awe of their faith, that when faced with an almost impossible situation of life or death, that tends to be, if you ever watch movies, that tends to be kind of the biting point in superhero movies, right? It's like life or death. If you save them, they'll live. You don't, they'll die. It's kind of the ultimate climax in life, like, oh, will they live or will they die? And they are faced with this decision, will they live or will they die? Can they save themselves and I think that answer speaks of they acknowledge they can't they can't save us they can't save themselves but they know a God that can save them but I want to circle back a little bit to a line in their response and it's found in verse 18 and it says, but even if he does not, but even if he does not, they're talking about God, but even if he doesn't save us, even if God doesn't provide a way out of this, even if he doesn't rescue us, even if we die, that even if the worst comes to the worst, we will still praise him. We will not bow down. And I caught myself just meditating on these words, even if, even if. And that's what struck me. And that's what feels personal today. Because there's been moments in our lives recently where we have had even if moments of going, oh, can I still trust you, God? Even if. It doesn't work out even if my prayers aren't answered. Will my faith stand the test? That even if kind of faith is what I'm in awe of with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That they were saying, yeah, 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 God can save us. They, they were proclaiming, yes, he, he is mighty to do so. But then they kind of backend it with just this even if he doesn't. It. it doesn't matter because I still won't bow down. I still won't do what you say. I still won't compromise my faith. I believe we face many, but even if, moments in our lives. And I think sometimes our faith maybe isn't an even if type of faith, but it's more of a as long as type of faith so it's more as yeah god i will 
I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll trust you, I'll believe in you, as long as I get what I've prayed for, as long as I have enough money in the bank account, as long as uh, my needs are met, then I'll praise you, then I'll worship you. And it shifts from being this even if to as, as long as. And I think there's a distinction there in those two phrases. And I've been challenged in that, that actually is my faith an even if kind of faith, that even if the worst happens, or even if my prayers aren't answered, is my faith still steadfast? Or is it more an as long as? Because one has conditions and one doesn't. And I think very easily we can slip from one side to the other and maybe not notice. I think the one also speaks of a consumerism type Christianity where we're kind of in it for ourselves. And I know last week um, I spoke about idols and, and, and felt that there, was, there were altars that maybe some of us had in our lives. And it caused me to really address my own life. But actually, I think this idea of um, altars and idols and and it's this stuff that kind of creeps into our lives, this consumerism kind of Christianity where we're in it for ourselves. And sometimes we become the idol. <laughs> sometimes we become the, the altar. We are serving ourselves. But, but my Bible tells me that when Christ was here on this earth, he lived that of a selfless life, of a servant. He never put himself up. He put others first. And I think sometimes we build ourselves up in our head. And, and, and as, as a counselor, as a therapist, I'm, I'm all for promoting the well-being of my clients but often I notice being in that world, I notice this kind of idea of self-love becomes an idol. It becomes something bigger than everything else. But God doesn't speak of that. He wants us, yes, to love ourselves because actually we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. But he also wants us to put him first. And we don't have to try and have it all worked out and we don't have to plan it all because he has got it and it's this assurance this this trust in him that we have to remind ourselves of it's not as long as but it's even if but those doubts can creep in and what do we do when those trials come we notice the anger the disappointment the frustration the sadness when we maybe don't, what we expected doesn't happen. What we prayed for doesn't happen. Very honestly speaking, I was mad at God yesterday. <laughs> I, I chuckle because God is God and he knows me and he loves me. Um, but I was mad at him yesterday. For the past three years, my husband and I have been battling with infertility. And so as we've journeyed through this, God has taken us on ups and downs and, and he's journeyed with us. And yes, there have been great days and yes, they've been bad days. And yesterday I had some results that weren't brilliant and I was mad at God. Like, God, what are you doing? Where are you? Why haven't you answered this prayer how I thought you were going to answer it? Because I had it all worked out that it was going to work like ABC and it was going to be plain sailing and everything was great. But it doesn't work like that. And so I had that moment of going, oh, okay, where is, where is my faith? And as I read this passage, I felt convicted that I had gone from an even-if faith to a as-long-as faith. And I had become mad at God because as long as he answered my prayers, we were good, but he didn't. So I was mad. I was disappointed. 
And a part of me still is. So what do you do in those moments of that you're sitting with that tension of disappointment, with frustration, where you read these stories in the Bible and you go, but I want that even if faith. I want that faith that says even if we never have a family, even if that never comes to pass, even if I never get that promotion, even if I never become as successful as I want to, even if my family never come to know Jesus, in my days, even if, I'll still praise you, God. That's a challenge. That's hard. That's not easy. And they are furnaces in their own right, staring at us in the face. Because it's very easy to kind of give up and take the easier route and to not trust God through it, to maybe just take some simple answers simple solutions. But would you see the miracle if you gave up too soon? And that's what I've been challenged with. Will you see the miracle? But even if you don't see the miracle, God is still God. He is still in control. He is still sovereign. But there's also another thing that we've been thinking about, and really this takes us into our series that we'll be starting to look at. And we find the answer in Acts 1, verse 8. And it's like, as I was reading this passage in, uh, in Daniel, and then I was looking at this passage in Acts, something unlocked in me. Acts 1 Verse 8, we read it. It's Jesus, he's about to ascend to heaven. He's been with the disciples, he's risen again, he's shown people that he's alive, that he has conquered death, that he is mighty. And he says, saying to the disciples, like, they're all like, Jesus, what's going to happen? What's going on? Like, when are you coming back? They're kind of a bit worried, they're a bit concerned, everything's kind of changing. And they're not, they want to know. And I, I really resonate with that, with the disciples. They want to know, what's the plan, Jesus? What's the hour? What's the date you're coming back? Like, can we plan? Like, that would be great. And Jesus' response, it makes me chuckle slightly, because he's like, no one, no one knows. And it's not for you to know. Uh, and again, that's one of those scriptures I hold in tension, because I would really like to know the answer sometimes. But Jesus often tells us, no, I'm not going to give the answer right now. I'm not going to give you all the solutions. But what he does say to them, and this is what we read in verse 8, says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will receive power. And for me, as I thought through and, and really pondered everything that I've shared this morning, there was something about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they have tapped into and unlocked this power in their faith. Something that enables them to have that even if kind of faith that says even if everything turns out as it does, I will still praise you. And as I read this verse, it's like the two connected. That actually, that even if kind of faith is because of the power that the Holy Spirit gives us in order to have faith to believe what God is going to do. It's the Holy Spirit at work in us that enables us to have that faith. Because without it, we see with human eyes. 
Without Holy Spirit in us, we see the problems as they are. But with Holy Spirit alive and active and working in our lives, we're able to go out to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Doesn't sound like an easy task, but with the power of the Spirit, the power. I think sometimes we talk about Holy Spirit as coming in, and we'll probably we'll be explored in the next few weeks with gifts and, uh, and with, with um, just a, a way of being, and he's a gentleman, and, and he comes and when we invite him, and, and that's all great, but sometimes we miss the power that he brings, the transformation that he brings. And, and I was kind of spitballing in my head like different words I would use for power. And some of it was like kapow, bam. Power isn't quiet. It's not small. It's big. It's transformative. It makes an impact. And that's what Jesus is saying. I'm going to send you a gift that's going to make an impact. It's not going to stay with you. It's going to be so powerful that it will go out because of what I'm going to do in and through your lives if you are willing. It's the Holy Spirit that brings that change. I will be drawing to a close in just a minute, so I just invite Tom and the team to come up. Jesus wants to equip us to face the challenges. The Bible tells us that in this life, we will face trials of many kinds. It doesn't mince its words. Jesus tells us we will have struggles. It won't be easy. It won't be, it won't, it, it, it will be difficult. There'll be things that we come up against. But his promise to us is that we have this gift that we can tap into that is for us. And it's a powerful gift. And my prayer today is that for me and for you, we would have this zeal that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had this, this faith, that even if kind of faith, that just is sold out for Jesus, no matter what. That we would unlock the gift of the Holy Spirit to see that power work in and through our lives. I think the, the other thing that struck me, and I'll, I'll end kind of with this is in both stories of when we look at the day of Pentecost, uh, the day when the, Holy, when the disciples were baptized in the Holy Spirit, when we look at that day, there was fire involved. Flames of fire appeared on the disciples' heads. And as I kind of looked at these two images of fire, one that was threatening to take the lives of these, these guys, and one that gave life, that gave a power. And, and it made me think that the fire that God gives, that burns in you and I, is greater than any furnace of the enemy. That what he gives is brighter, is stronger, is more powerful than anything the enemy can send up at us. And I just dwell on those images. Actually, yeah, God's fire, totally different. That he is an awesome God. And in those moments when I'm doubting, in the moments when we're doubting or maybe we're struggling or we're not quite sure what is going on, we have to come back 
to that place of reminding ourselves who God is, who he is in his word, in our lives, reminding ourselves of the testimonies of what he has done, but also resting in the fact that he is God, that he has a will for our lives. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For any more information or to find out more of what we do as a church, you can contact us at info at centrechurch.uk or check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.